0: Hello, hello, everyone, and welcome back to In My Non-Expert Opinion. It's your host, Chelsea Reif. And as you probably know, I love podcasting, right? I've had this podcast for almost seven years now. It has been my labor of love. It has been my first child. It has been the longest relationship I've ever committed to. I even turned it into my career, teaching people how to launch and monetize their podcasts. So I think, you know, podcasting and I are pretty much best friends. What's interesting about my job is I'm definitely up to date on trends and what podcasting is doing for people in the space and where investments are going into audio. But when it comes to like really behind the scenes of what's going on at these bigger tech companies and what's really happening with audio in the next three to five to 10 years, those are things that I'm not as aware of. So as I started to think about the next level of my podcast coaching and how I'm helping people I was like, I want to be more on the insider baseball world, right? I want to know like what's really going on behind the scenes. So I started listening to this podcast called Shameless Acquisition Target, and it's by a producer that actually created this whole podcast. Basically, it was a bit meta, kind of comedic, but for real project of like, can my podcast get acquired? So she was showing all the behind the scenes of how do podcasts actually get acquired, Right. So you know how Dirty John, which was so popular on Wondery, became a show? Or how Call Her Daddy's Alex Cooper just launched a whole new media network with her fiancé called Trending? Like, those are the things I really wanted to know. So that whole podcast, Shameless Acquisition Target, started to really prompt me to be like, this is really cool to understand how media companies make their investments to understand where the future of podcasting is going. Then through that podcast, I found this newsletter called The Squeeze by Sky Pillsbury, Sky basically is like the Barbara Walters investigative journalist of the podcasting world. And I thought it was so cool to see her insights and reporting as a real reporter, right? Not just like, oh, this is a fun trend I'm going to post about or here's some anecdotal evidence I'm using. She actually goes full like dateline with her podcast investigations. So she's emailing media companies for quotes. She's fact checking. She's asking sources. She's referencing her material. And I was like, this is really cool. I've never seen someone do this in the world of podcasting. So the more and more I read her newsletter, I was like, I have to have her on the podcast so she can talk about how she got into this and show that maybe sometimes being a podcast host isn't the thing that you want to do, but maybe being podcast adjacent, like being a reporter or behind the scenes could work for you. I think Sky does such an excellent job with the squeeze and shows you that sometimes being talent on air isn't the thing you want to do all the time. It could be that your love is for podcasting, but you like writing about it. So today we actually discuss where her love of podcast came from in pop culture, as well as how the squeeze was burst. And we talk a lot about content creators putting their work out there. What excuses do we tell ourselves? What limiting beliefs do we have? What are all the reasons why we're not doing what we're doing? And how can we just start creating without that fear of being canceled or being seen or being judged? We get really, really into that topic. And she also shares her desires outside of the podcasting world and her love of media and how she got into this specific niche. What's interesting too is you all know I've been teasing like a second podcast or a Substack or a newsletter. Like, I just don't know which platform I want to put this energy into. And since Sky has such a successful Substack, I turned the tables on her a little bit. And I was like, I need to know how you built your Substack from scratch. She launched a paid channel and she has amazing dedicated subscribers. So if you're a content creator that's really been trying to understand if Substack could work for you or any type of exclusive content or paywalled content, then this is the episode for you. She breaks down numbers. She shares how much content she put out before she put up a paywall. And my favorite part about what she said about her paywall was I put out the disclaimer that I am not doing this under the guise of like, I'm going to put out four articles a week at 1500 words. And that's what you can expect with this package. She put up the paywall to be like, you are supporting me as a content creator. And the amount of fact-checking and research and journalistic integrity I have, I would like to be supported financially for the quality of content I'm putting out. So if you're someone who tends to look at money in exchange for time or pieces of content, like I can only put up a paywall if I deliver four pieces of content weekly, and you're trying to shift that perspective, then you'll definitely want to tune in to hear Sky's POV and how she made Substack work for her. I love this episode. It's very inside baseball. It's very meta. It's like two podcast people talking about podcasting on a podcast, which, to be honest, is one of my favorite conversations these days. I like getting that meta. So if this piques your interest, then definitely keep listening. And just as a note, if you want to launch your own podcast and you're just like, I truly have no idea where to start, I don't understand how to get my episodes down on paper and plan them. I don't know the tech. I don't know how to edit. Which microphone do I even buy? There's like a million options when you Google it. Don't worry. That's exactly why I created MicDrop. So if you were like, yes, I want to launch a podcast and I want someone to lay out all the steps for me, that's exactly what MicDrop is. There's four modules, which means you could launch your podcast in as little as four weeks. And there's a checklist to follow if you want to launch in those four weeks. I gave you a timeline to check off and stay accountable to yourself, being the Virgo moon and Virgo rising that I am, with a Capricorn, North Node, and Stellium. There are so many resources in there to help you on every step of your journey. So when you get to the point where you're like, oh wait, I need music for my podcast, do I have to go hire a music editor? Nope, I linked completely royalty-free music sites that you can check out. And when you get to the part where you're like, Wait, I'm not an audio engineer. I don't know how to edit. Don't worry. There's an entire module on editing on multiple platforms. So GarageBand, Descript, Audacity, I've got you covered. I thought of every single thing that I wish I had in front of me when I launched my podcast in 2017 and put it into Mic Drop. So if you're interested, check out the show notes. I have a link there. You can always learn more on my website, ChelseaRipe.com. And of course, you can always email me, info at or DM me at ChelseaRife if you have any questions about it. And I can also give you my honest take on if podcasting is for you and the time commitment, what I would recommend. Happy to chat about that always on a discovery call as well. All right, without further ado, let's get into this week's episode with Sky Pillsbury. Welcome back to the show, everyone. I am so excited to be joined today by Skye Pulsbury. She is the creator of The Squeeze, which is an insider podcasting newsletter. She talks about all the audio headlines, but not just what you're seeing in the headlines, like what actually prompted those headlines. Welcome to the show, Sky.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Chelsea. This is really a thrill for me.
0: I'm so excited because I've never had someone on that is so, inside the world of podcasting, I've <laughs> talked to other podcasters, but not people that actually made it uh, their business to report on podcasting. So, right. that's actually my first question is like, how did you even get into the world of podcasting?
1: That's a great question. So, I was a publicist prior to writing this whole second career that I've had now as a writer about podcasting. So, I've been doing publicity in the world of technology, grew up in the Bay Area. And so I've been sort of surrounded by that world. And it was kind of this natural thing for me. I am a communicator. I like to build relationships. I like to connect people to different people or, or technologies or information. And so PR was a natural fit for me. And I did it for years. But over time, I guess you could say the, the learning curve really flattened out for me, and I just wasn't as riveted and fulfilled by the work that I was doing. And meanwhile, I was starting to listen to podcasts all the time. And having been in technology, I'd actually known about podcasts for quite a while. But I actually didn't start listening to them myself until 2014. I was part of the wave that began listening because of Serial, um, the serial wave of listeners. And once I started, I just couldn't stop. One of the first podcasts I listened to was Startup which was a podcast started by Alex Bloomberg. You might be familiar with it. He did a podcast about starting a podcast company. And it was it sort of blended my two worlds. Because when I was doing PR, I was mostly doing PR for startup technology companies. And so listening to a podcast that was from the point of view of an entrepreneur who was starting a basically what's, you know, in some ways a tech company, right? That blended these two worlds that I had started exploring, podcasting and my background in startup. So I really was just hooked. And I wanted to find a way to get involved. And As a person who does publicity, you have to be a good writer and you have to understand how to tell a story and you have to understand what makes a compelling headline. So it was sort of like two sides of the same coin. I had been on one side, which was the PR side, but I hadn't been on the journalism side. So I was subscribed to a bunch of newsletters. Like I have two kids and when I would put them to bed, you know, I would like finish my, I was doing freelance work. I would finish my job. I would feed the kids dinner, put them to bed. And then I would start reading my like podcast newsletters. And one day, one of those newsletters that I just subscribed to called Inside Podcasting, which was sort of a generic newsletter. It didn't really have a whole lot of personality. It was just kind of like a curation of some of the news at that time. One of the first newsletters I received from them said, we're looking for a writer. And I just threw my hat into the ring, like totally on a whim and ended up interviewing for that job and got the job. And I was sort of like off to the races. It was like a daily newsletter they wanted my personality to come through. Like they wanted to make it more of like a, you know, a, a fun thing to read versus like a generic list of articles that had come out about the podcasting world. So it sort of went from there. That That's how I got my start. It was really sort of serendipitous, but in another way, like had I not known that I wanted to somehow insert myself in this world and taken that chance, it wouldn't have happened.
0: Oh my gosh, I love that. And then what about podcasting itself? Did you ever feel like you wanted to start your own podcast too?
1: Yeah, so I did actually. Well, there is actually one little piece of the puzzle that I didn't share, which is that I had actually been featured on a podcast called Heavyweight, which was produced by the company Gimlet, which is now owned by Spotify. I had pitched a personal story of mine, because of course I was good at pitching because I had been in PR, to this show Called Heavyweight, where they go back into your history, something a moment in your history where sort of everything changed. And I loved this podcast. And I had a personal story about when everything in my life sort of changed. It was this moment, it was, it's basically a mean girl's story, which I won't go into all the details, but you know, it's easy to find if you go to Heavyweight and search the name Sky. That's the name of the episode. It's sort of about going back and trying to find those girls and sort of reconciling with them. And so I'd had this experience of like seeing how a podcast gets made. The host of the podcast, Jonathan Goldstein, had flown here from Brooklyn. We'd gone to a recording studio. You know, I'd had this experience of like having kind of a front row seat as to how a podcast um, is created and is crafted and how that story is told. And so that's actually one of the reasons why Inside Podcast podcasting hired me because they could tell I was so passionate because i had already had this experience. I'd already taken this chance to pitch myself. So once I was at Inside Podcasting, it was only natural to say, I feel like we should start a podcast. And so I pitched it to my boss and I started a podcast that ran for two seasons until I left Inside Podcasting, where I interviewed podcasters about their craft. And I loved doing it loved it but it wasn't my own i didn't own it it was owned by the company that i worked for inside.com and i wasn't getting paid anything extra to do it and anyone probably listening to this show and certainly you knows that you know it's it's a lot of work and i was at a time in my life as i said i'm a mother the pandemic hit and one of my children really needed support and i decided you know what I need to take a break from this. And so I did that for my own, like, for self-care reasons, really.
0: Wow. I think what's so fascinating about your story is, like, you had your eye on the ball. You got in the world. You got heavily into the world. You saw how the sausage was made, so to speak. And Mm -hmm. now you made your own thing. You have the squeeze. Can you tell Mm -hmm. us a little bit about the inception of the squeeze?
1: Sure. Well, there was sort of one step in between. So I quit inside podcasting. I took a break because I really needed to during the pandemic, take care of my children and their needs. I didn't feel like I had a way in. Honestly, my only thought was, I need to go back to writing. I should probably start my own thing. I had a short detour where Nick Kwa, who owned and ran a different newsletter about similar sort of insider podcasting, world called Hot Pod, which, you know, was sort of a must read for he... That was going for about eight years. I did some freelance work for him. And... That was a really different kind of writing. Inside podcasting, I had written short sort of blurbs about different pieces of news that were coming out. At HotPod, Nick Qua encouraged me to write sort of longer features that looked at you know systemic issues within podcasting or how do you move from having a podcast to creating a a show. You know how do you enter how do you get into the world of Hollywood? I wrote a story about that. I wrote sort of like bigger featurey pieces about podcasting. And then that property was sold to The Verge and it's become a very different thing. And so at that point, I thought, okay, there's Hot Pod was the best possible place for me to do this kind of writing. There really isn't another place um, for someone like me to do this kind of writing. There isn't like, there are very few places like the New York Times has just started to write features every now and then. But there isn't one writer who's assigned to those stories. Vulture will occasionally write stories. And actually, Hot Pot was syndicated to Vulture at the time. So my byline would appear there. But it's, it's also like just a small piece of a big publication, right? So I really thought, you know, the only way this is going to happen is if I take a chance and... You know, really risk. It felt like a huge risk because you're really putting yourself on the line when you start your own newsletter. But at this point, you know, I had amassed a certain number of followers on Twitter. There were a certain number of people who I knew would follow me. They had followed me, my work from Inside Podcasting to Hot Pod already. So I kind of knew, like, okay, I know that some people will come with me. And I just decided to take that chance. And It's been a pretty incredible ride. I mean, I've only been doing it now for about nine months. And, you know, I'm getting close to 4,000 subscribers. And it's been pretty incredible. Like, it's one of those things where you look back and you think, wow, I wish I had done this sooner. Like, maybe I could have done this before Hot Pod got sold. You know, I was in such a funk after Hot Pod got sold. And I felt like, where am I going to go now? And... You know, it's, you know, it takes a lot to put your yourself on the line as your own sort of like business. And you're really taking that chance to like, follow your own passion. Is it going to work, you know, and just launched paid literally last week, a subscription service for my newsletter, and that's going well. And it's only been a few days. But it's really exciting to do that work as well. Mm-hmm. So that's where I'm at.
0: I love it. Where did the name The Squeeze come from?
1: (laughs) It came kind of randomly, but it was perfect from my husband, actually. Um, I had been agonizing over the name. I wanted something that would communicate that this was going to be something well, I don't really think my name communicates this, but at first I was thinking oh, something that communicates like going behind the scenes or sort of like, what's the talk behind the headlines? And so I had thought of talk was something I thought of. But when I ran it past, I have like a, you know, it sort of group of insider friends. And some people thought like, oh, that might sound like talk, like you're, you're talking people, like you're talking back. So, even though I didn't actually mind that slightly negative connotation because it is sort of like, I'm trying to communicate that what I'm, part of what I'm doing is sort of like I'm eavesdropping, you know, I'm listening Mm -hmm. to the industry gossip. But there were just too many people that felt like, I don't know if it's right. I had a few other ideas. I'm kind of forgetting what they were. But this one day I was just driving literally to get coffee with my husband. And he was like, what about the squeeze? He literally just threw it out there. In fact, I should ask him more about how it occurred to him, but it was just immediately memorable. It's, you know, one syllable. I kind of like that. And what part of it I did like is that I am writing because of the nature of what I'm writing. And I do a lot of investigative reporting and then in between sort of reporting on what's behind the scenes or some investigative stuff that I'm doing. I interview the people of podcasting, not the executives so much, but people who are working in podcasting, who are doing something different. And Often those are the people that are getting squeezed, right? Like it was sort of this idea of like, I wanna write for the people, the working people of podcasting. I wanna pull back the curtain for them, you know? Okay, Spotify or Apple or Amazon. They've done a deal or they've laid off people. What does that mean to the working person in podcasting? And in a sense, the squeeze made sense because those are the people who tend to get a little bit squeezed when those moves are made. And so it just sort of resonated for me. And I feel like it. any person I said it to, they were like, I love it. And so it was just, it became kind of a
0: no-brainer. Oh my gosh. I love when things like that click into place and you're just like, yep, that's it. I
1: think yeah, think
0: anyone that's named their podcast has that moment where they're like, Agonizing over what's the name. And then it's like, oh, it just came in the shower. Like my husband yelled it out. And then here we are. So yeah. I love hearing that story.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It worked out.
0: You just brought up a point that I think a lot of people listening to this podcast can resonate with was I wish I started this sooner. And I mm. think that's a big hurdle people have with podcasting. The, you know, we've seen the boom of podcasting, and then there's another wave and another boom. And it seems like everyone during the pandemic started a podcast, but then everyone this year started a podcast. Like, there's constant messaging that the market is saturated. And so the fear is, why would I start a podcast now? And I'm curious, what would be your opinion on that? Like, why should anyone start a podcast now?
1: Yeah, well, I have a few things I can say about that. I mean, first, I think that there was sort of this wave of like oh my gosh, podcasting is the next thing, right? Like it's the next blogging or it's the next, you know, social media or whatever people, however people saw it. And now's the time. And like there was this sort of gold rush mentality, I think for a little while there. And I do think this might be a controversial thing to say, but I do think that, if you're only in it for that reason, like maybe you shouldn't start a podcast. Like if that's why you're getting into something because you just hear that it's the new next thing and oh, you have to have a podcast. Like I actually don't think that's true. And I do think that there are a lot of people who start podcasts and to be quite honest, I listen to it and I'm like, why? Why does this exist in the world? If it is making you happy, if you are doing it and you are enjoying it and you don't care how many listeners you have, and you're doing it for the love of the game in that sense, then obviously you should do it, because it's fulfilling something in you. But if you want to get into podcasting because you know there's gold in those hills, but only because you're being influenced by this sort of like gold rush mentality, I think you really need to step back and figure out what is this going to bring into the world? Because you're not going to be successful in that business sense, unless there is a real reason for you to be doing it and for people to be hearing your voice. Because I think that people can tell when you're in it only to be in it and not because you have something that is important for the world to hear. You know, I did a lot of work. I was mentioning this to you before we started recording. I did a fair amount of work sort of off and on during my journey, working with various podcasters and helping them think through Their podcasts. And I think the reason to start, period, is as I said, like you've got something unique to say that no one else is saying. You are the expert in it. You're passionate about it. So that's one reason. But also, the reason to do it now is to be honest, I think a lot of that first wave, like they've realized, oh, I do want to do this. There is a reason for me to be here, or it's too much work because it's a lot of work and it's not worth it to me and they've stopped. And I feel like now... There is this sort of like opening for people who done the work to figure out that it makes sense for them to stay and keep at it or start at it right now. And in fact, I even think that with the headlines that we're seeing of like, you know, Spotify made these giant acquisitions and now they're having to lay off all these people as a result. Because I think Spotify, to a certain extent was kind of like that podcaster that just like got into podcasting to get into podcasting. Not that I'm saying that they're going to give up on it because they're clearly not and they clearly do have a reason for being in this space. But I think that that like wild, reckless spending that they did on the industry, they're now realizing, okay, we really actually need to make podcasts. We need to funnel money towards podcasters who are here for the long haul. We need to be a little bit more thoughtful about that. They have also realized that there's a bunch of podcasts that don't make sense for them to be producing, right? They're laying off people, they're canceling shows. That doesn't mean that your show shouldn't exist. It means that they funneled money in a direction that didn't make sense. And again, now there's fewer podcasts out there that don't make sense. Again, making an opening for people who have a reason for doing this work. Does that make sense?
0: Oh, 100%. I think, like you just said, podcasting is a long game and it's a lot of work. So if your only North star is money or fame. yeah. Like already that's a bad start, but then it's like you're never going to feel satisfied with your first probably 50 episodes because I don't know anyone in their first 50 episodes that has like hit a multi-million dollar Spotify deal or, uh, you know, become the most famous podcaster in the world. So I think it makes total sense. And I think you're getting into some questions that I have about like the industry and what we're seeing is I think – the people I serve are pretty much indie creators, micro creators. They're people that are just starting their businesses maybe two or three years in. And they're like, you know what? I do see that podcasting could make sense for me, but they're comparing themselves to a media company that is funneling probably hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars into a show. For example, like call her daddy, $60 million Spotify deal. And people over here are like, I'm trying to figure out what money from my biweekly paycheck could I put towards podcasting? Right. And I'm curious for you, knowing you know you have all this insider information from the, the like big media world. What advice would you give to newer podcasters that we don't have the backings of media companies and, yeah. and resources that they do?
1: Can I ask you a quick question before I answer that question? Absolutely. Do you think that most of the people who you work with and who maybe are listening to this right now, are they podcasters who are hoping to make money from or or create a business from their podcast? Or do they have, are they like, you know, more like coaches like you, you know, have a business and creating a podcast is a way to build their, you know, to show their expertise and maybe funnel clients into their offline business? I would
0: say it's the
1: second one. Okay, okay. So, that is a completely different model than what Spotify or any of these big companies are after. And in fact, I actually just interviewed someone for my newsletter. Let's see, so... I don't know when this episode is going to air, but this issue of my newsletter came out in February of 2023. So whoever's listening, I interviewed a woman named Anna Gogo, and she runs a podcast production company. But what was so fascinating to me is that her business is booming right now, okay? And her, she actually does work with some of the bigger companies producing podcasts for like iHeartMedia and Tenderfoot TV. But she also works with a lot of podcasters who... She produces podcasts for folks who are business owners themselves. So they're like real estate agents or... You know, veterinarians. She has a client, they're veterinarians. They have a vet podcast. She's hyper local. She's in Atlanta. So she works with like this Atlanta market of small business owners and they are doing great. So she's doing great as a result, right? Like she's weathering the storm of like all the big podcasting, all these big podcasting companies are like having layoffs and like projecting, you know, lower profits, lower revenues and all this. Meanwhile, go Gogo with her little podcast production company working with all these smaller podcasters she's doing great her clients are doing great and the reason is that they're not dependent on the advertising revenue they're not dependent on like the revenue that they're getting from a big network they are developing a smaller but super engaged audience that cares about their expertise as vets or their expertise as real estate agents you know in the Atlanta area and become sort of like dedicated fans of these smaller podcasts, you know, their listeners are these fans of smaller podcasters who are doing it for their business. And they are developing this, they're growing their client list, they're growing, you know, their followers on different platforms who are, you know, interested in their expertise. And as a result, like they don't need millions of downloads, you know, they that's not even the goal. The goal is I want listeners who are here who can eventually become my own clients. And so I would say to a podcaster who is interested in starting a podcast where they just want to attract people to their own business that this is the perfect time. This is your moment. <laughs> you know, like do it, like get out there and do it. And some podcasters are hyper local, but you don't need to be hyper local. As long as you have something and you can Find the people who want to listen to someone in your particular space. If that's, you know, the the people who listen to the veterinarian podcast could be anywhere in the world, but they can become clients, you know, virtual clients of this veterinarian company. So, you know, it doesn't have to be like the real estate agents in Atlanta. It could be the vets who can help people from around the world. But this is the perfect time to be doing that kind of podcast.
0: Oh, I love hearing those stories. And this is a, an episode I've been trying to outline for six months is like influencer versus coach and how you just said there's monetization models that are totally different. People yeah. influence to make money through ads and brand sponsorships. A coach, you can use your podcast as a content strategy to funnel people to your own website. And I think the issue is because of the Instagram culture of followers and likes and shares and comments and how much like quote unquote fame you have, we've adopted that mindset into podcasting, which to me is like a completely misguided way to look at your podcast for business. hundred percent. Clients, let's look at KPIs, like email subscribers. Are you getting more applications to work with you? Are you seeing more website traffic? But I think, you know, we see again, Alex Cooper with 100 million downloads and this person and that person. And, and you start to get like, why don't I have a hundred million downloads? But it's like, you don't need a hundred million downloads. If you need maybe 10 downloads and you sign three new clients at $3,000. Like that's a big paycheck. And I think that's something that people just miss because of the culture of fame and uh, social media that we see. And so I'm curious too, your point of view on like the advertising model revenue streams, like what other monetization methods could work for someone that's maybe starting out versus only advertising?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, Yeah, and I just want to say, like, I just want to appreciate what you're saying, because I do think that this, it's sort of this inverted model. It's totally different from the, like, you need millions of likes model. It's the opposite, because those people are probably less engaged, but you've got more of them. In podcasting, you want more engaged, and fewer of them is fine. And there's subscription models, of course, you know, there's, so like, I pay, a number of podcasters I pay to support their work on Patreon. You know, I don't know, have you talked about Patreon, I'm sure, on this podcast before? But I love that model. Like, there's a great podcast that I listen to, Crime Writers On, and they are podcast critics. They listen to stuff on TV. They watch TV true crime on TV and they listen to true crime podcasts. And they're podcast critics. And I feel like listening to them has made me a better listener of shows and a, and a more discerning watcher of shows like on Netflix. And I really love them. And I pay for their you know, Patreon. And on their Patreon, I get bonus content. I get special interviews that I don't get to hear in the main feed. So that's one way that people can do it. But also, that's more the model of like, They want as many listeners as possible, right? So I... Also, support people who want clients outside of podcasting. So, the people who are more like your listeners. So, I have listened to a number of podcasts where, just based on the expertise of that person, I have then become a client of theirs, even just for a short time. So, I think, you know, that model of like funneling people into your offline business is ideal. Of course, you can also have sponsors. You can do a series and say, I'm going to have a sponsor for the next 10 episodes. And this sponsor, you know, for some reason is super tied into whatever my expertise is but maybe isn't my direct competition that's another way to go you know there's so many different creative ways you can barter with people you know you, there's so many options i mean you probably even know this more than me because you're <laughs> actively doing it right now whereas i don't have a podcast at this time but i think that model of like bringing people in and funneling them to your offline business is like if you can make that work for you, I think that that's so much more resilient to like the winds of change and the you know economic climate and ultimately will serve you better because those people will be with you no matter where you go. You know, if you create a podcast on a different topic, maybe you can convert those listeners or you can change your feed into something else once you're ready to tackle a new topic. So there's just so many options once you have those super engaged, loyal listeners.
0: A hundred percent. There's so many creative ways to podcast. And I think the point we're both making too is like your story matters. Like you don't need to be a mega influencer. You don't need a hundred thousand followers. I I think the idea that people have is if I don't have X amount of following on this platform, then I won't have it on this platform. And, And again, it's like, that's irrelevant. And you Mm. just made a good point too of like sustaining the change that happens in economics and social media and everything. I mean, right now we're going through TikTok potentially being banned in the United States. And that's right. A lot of people built their platforms on TikTok. And I always make the argument you really want to build a community on a platform you can own or at least aren't like beholden to something like this. And I think none of us ever really thought that would happen. TikTok blew up. And now it's like, imagine if this really gets shut down. That's going to hurt a lot of creators incomes, pockets, livelihoods. And I think it's just yet another argument to think about other ways to create content that aren't um, dependent on social media platforms.
1: A hundred percent. And actually, I mean, I don't know if this is helpful or not, but I would also say that creating a newsletter is really important. You know, one of the things that I love about Substack, not to be an advertisement for Substack. They're not paying me, I swear. But that, you know, you have the email addresses of the people and they're doing podcasts now on Substack as well. So that's another platform that podcasters can use. But, you know, you have those people, you can take them with you. One of the things I think is hard about podcasting is that you don't always have. A way to get in contact with those people just through your RSS feed. So, if you can create a way to make your relationship with those loyal listeners even stickier, creating a newsletter, particularly if you do have an offline business, right? Like, you want to be able to email them, let them know what you're doing in your offline business so that if someone's kind of on, they're listening to you, they're kind of, you know, they're testing the waters, but, oh, you've got a newsletter. Now you have their email address and you can talk to them in more depth about what you're doing as part of a newsletter, not to be creepy and emailing them like you're stalking them, of course, but (laughs) sending them a newsletter and letting them listen to you even further and in more depth and giving them that easier way to get in touch with you when they're ready to work with you in your offline business, the better. So I don't remember what question you just asked me, but I...
0: <laughs> oh no, you were just you were just letting me know, like you agree and a newsletter is a, a great accompaniment. And I think I totally agree. I'm running a mastermind right now where that's what we're talking about is like newsletters supporting your podcast because mm. to your point, you, ha- you like own your audience. And I think for anyone that doesn't know what that means, it means you have their email, like you have a way to contact them. If yeah. Instagram shuts down, if TikTok shuts down, it's like, how are people going to contact you? you need a way to like keep in touch with your audience and vice versa. And that was actually a question I had was about Substack because we can geek out on some tech platforms for a little bit, but I feel <laughs> like Substack had this big boom as well. And now I remember I, I was I subscribed to like 25 at one time, just constantly reading it. And then I got a little burnt out and I, I don't know what it was. I think I was just consuming too much content anyway. And mm. I was always curious Why people started Substacks versus like their own newsletter on say you know Flowdesk or MailerLite, and I'm curious your opinion on that.
1: Yeah, so let me just say I'm not an expert, right? Like what I knew I wanted was what we've just been talking about. I wanted to to terrible word to say you own your audience, but I wanted to be able to you know to have when I was at both Inside Podcasting and at Hot Pod. I didn't have any way to keep in touch with those people. You know, I don't own, I didn't own the mailing list, right? And so that was the other thing that prompted me to say, okay, I I really want to do my own thing. Quite frankly, the reason why I chose Substack was it is easy. It is so easy. The barrier to entry is low. I felt it had they'd really that company had really invested in their to make their interface as easy as possible. So like and it's beautiful, I think. Like it's just so easy for me to I am not someone who likes a word processor. Like formatting and like oh my god, now this is indenting and now these spaces are too close together. What did I do? Like I can't deal with like I'm don't have a designer's mind. And so I wanted something where it was just like there was you know, there were guardrails. Like it, it was impossible to make it look terrible. And Substack just immediately had that. I I looked at a couple other platforms, not either of the ones that you mentioned. I looked at review because at the time, this is before Elon had acquired Twitter, and I'm a very active Twitter user. And I thought, oh, that'll be convenient. But their design interface was not good. I was gonna use it. Um a swear word, but I didn't want to do that on your, on your beautiful uh, podcast, Uh, but it was okay. It was not good though. And then I looked at a couple others and I could have done like more of an independent like MailChimp or something. And there are major advantages to that, I think, and that you are more control, you have more control over the system. I knew that from Substack, I could export my email addresses and put them anywhere and I've already done that. Like I always, I regularly do that so that in case something ha- happened to Substack, I could just start somewhere else. And I knew I wanted a really easy interface. And Substack gave that to me. And the other thing I do like about Substack is they have this recommendation feature where like other Substacks can recommend mine and I can recommend theirs. And I am telling you, I've gotten so many subscribes from that. It's a really valuable service. And if you're just on your own, you don't, you know, that's not even an advantage I knew I would have. And I have to say, I'm really grateful for it. They also do like, they do like office hours every week. So you can talk to other newsletter writers and you can talk to the people who work at Substack. It's all online. It's not like a Zoom, but then it's always there. You can go and like read the questions other people posted and see their answers And so, and I love that. Like, every week I've got questions. So it was sort of an easy step for me to take. And at the time, I was also really nervous about it. Like, I was so scared to start my own newsletter. I really was. And so having something that didn't create a lot of barrier to just closing my eyes and jumping was also really important. And so that was basically the reason I went to Substack. And I don't know that I'll stay there forever, but I'm really happy there.
0: I've heard only incredible things about Substack. And I think to your point, the discoverability is a big thing. Because yeah. you said if you do it on your own, it's like you're constantly pushing your own newsletter. But if someone's popping up to show you this recommended newsletter, it just helps. It's, it's just an extra layer of like promotion that you don't even have to do.
1: That's right. And actually, I should also add to that that I am, my newsletter is only on the Substack w- website right now. But you have the option at Substack, and I'm sure other platforms do this, of actually pointing it to your own domain. So I've acquired now the domain that I want, and I just have to figure out how to like do that. And then it will feel more like it's, then I will have my own website. It will point, it will still use the back end of Substack, but like, right that's sort of a, a way to sort of like have a little bit more flexibility in what I'm able to offer and also getting found on the search engines. SEO. <laughs> Took right. me a minute to remember that. You know, like <laughs> I'll have more abil- more abilities to get to be found, I guess that's what you say, on the search engines, you know, that way as well.
0: I love that. And I think it's a good monetization method. Like you said, that's low barrier to entry where you're not depending on a sponsor because I've also done sponsors. And I, I don't think people also realize how much work goes into it. Like all of a sudden you're kind of a mini employee for the sponsor. Like you're following their creative guidelines and their rules and their timelines. And you're like, I need to fit this in with my own production timeline and what I believe in and da da, da. It's like so many questions right. where a subscription channel is like, I still get to talk about whatever I want when I want. You're just paying me for the time spent into creating this. So I think yes. that's a shift that I personally have been wanting to make, but I've had a big block around this where I've been wanting to start a subscription channel or a newsletter or something to the point of like, it's probably been 18 months since I've been wanting to do this. And I keep getting caught up in no one is going to pay you when you've had a free podcast for like five years. And I know you (laughs) just launched your paid channel. And I'm curious, like, what was it like? Walk us through that process because I'm selfishly asking, Yeah. The people that want to launch a subscription channel like what can we do to just take the leap?
1: Absolutely. Um, I, you know, I had a huge, scary block about it too. But of course, it had been less time. But I will say, I will just circle back to something um, we spoke about earlier, which was: now that I've done it, I feel like, gosh, why didn't I do this earlier? I really am feeling that now. So. I think a big part of the reason why it was in, well, there's a couple reasons. When I started my Substack, when I started my newsletter, I immediately started getting emails from advertisers. Can we sponsor you? And I could have gone down that route, but I sort of worked out with my husband, like, I'm going to do this for six to 12 months on, you know, I'm going to just like pedal to the metal, (laughs) right? We all, we all, we're all like, oh, work really hard. And then I'll figure out monetization, right? Like I'm not, I'm just going to like not make any income and I'm going to be dedicated to just doing the best job I can. And that, that's a, I think that that's a, I, I look back on that. I think that was a good strategy because people saw how hard I was working and that built up my subscriber list. But I did know that it, At a certain point, I wanted, I needed to monetize it because I'm trying to make this my business, right? So when the advertisers started reaching out, that was very early on. At that point, I was like, I am not even ready to to have this conversation at all. But it was sort of a little thing in my head like, oh, what I'm doing is, people are seeing it as valuable. It was the first little like boost of like confidence that I got. Like, okay, like people, this is valuable. Like this is worth something people want to sponsor me. Also, for the type of writing I'm doing, which can be, you know, as I said, investigative, I had this inkling that advertiser supported wasn't really the way I wanted to go anyway, because it's just, you know, you want to have a separation between, you know, there can be a conflict of interest of there, there. If a company comes to me, they want to sponsor me and I, you know, am I going to then not want to write something bad about their company? I mean, not that I just want to write bad things about companies, but it does happen. So I and Substack, again, going back to Substack has this like built in super easy way to just turn on payments and have a reader supported version of your subscription. So you have free subscribers, then you can literally press a button and have paid subscribers. And it doesn't mean that you have to put your content behind a paywall. You can put everything behind a paywall. But you get to choose, what am I going to put behind a paywall? So I liked that model when I started because I thought, oh, reader-supported feels like a better fit for what I'm doing. But I think, you know, what I really had to get past was my own psychology of it, my own stress about... Now I've been working really hard, like you have been doing, and producing this free thing. Is anyone going to want to pay me for my content? But what I had to remind myself was that what I was going to ask people to do was pay to support me as a creator, like more like a Patreon model, rather than positioning it as a transaction like you're paying for two newsletters a week and if you don't get them uh, you're going to get upset right like and i was very the thing that helped me get past my anxiety although i'm not past it let's be honest but the thing that helped me take that leap was that i was super transparent about it in my newsletter i said i literally said if this is going to feel transactional to you please stay on the paid li- on the free list Because what I do, first of all, takes time. You know, I have to research and interview and fact check. And I didn't say this, but like sometimes I do all that and I realize I can't publish a story. Like I'll go all the way down a rabbit hole and realize this is not something that is ready for prime time yet. Or there really just isn't a story here yet. So, you know, I expend all this energy reporting. And I wanted people to know that like I'm going to be skipping weeks. I'm going to be taking also breaks for my own mental health. So if you are not ready to support me as a creator, as a writer than stay on the free list. And that made me feel better. I also did offer a few extra things. So I'm keeping my regular newsletter free. It's always going to be free. so I'm doing, you know, the occasional paid post. And then back to Substack. Substack has this ability to do members only threat, what they call threads. It's kind of like it's like a private chat basically with your members on various topics. So like I'm offering that. And then I'm also going to offer Monthly Zooms where we sort of talk to each other. And that's selfishly something I want to do. You know, as a writer, as a podcaster, maybe I don't know, you're traveling and, you know, meeting lots of people. So you probably don't feel this like I do. But as a writer who writes by herself and is in my little office all day, I really thirst for interaction. And so I am, you know, going to do this monthly Zooms. And I'm maybe even thinking it might be a source for like story ideas. For sources, you know, like who knows what that will turn into. So I am offering like some things, extra things to people, but I knew that I couldn't have the pressure of like, I have to produce something extra or what have you if I was going to start paid. And yet I am working my butt off and I deserve to be compensated by the people who are super, super engaged. And it's gone it's gone well. You know, I mean, like, it's all it's literally been, I mean, I announced it at the worst possible time, like a Friday. And, you know, it's just Monday. Now, I mean, I I guess I can just reveal the number. Like I have like 50 paid subscribers already. That's a fair amount. And and a fair amount of those people have opted to be founding subscribers, which is like, they're paying me more money you know, they're paying me 150 bucks. And so instead of just like the $50 or the $60, depending on their other plan. So that just shows you, like, you know, I bet that you have a lot of people out there who are listening to this who know, who want to support your work. I got so many lovely emails like, I can tell how hard you work on this. And, you know, we need someone doing the kind of work that you're doing. And I bet that you would surprise yourself with how many paid subscribers will sign on right away. And then it's going to, you know, now I realize, like, now it's going to slow down, right? Like, that first 50, they were, first of all, the people who happened to open this over the weekend. But they were also my most loyal listeners. Now it's going to be a process of, like, you know, reminding people, I, you know, if you support this work, please become a paid subscriber. And, you know, now I'm going to be in that, like, sort of place of, like you know, marketing myself in different ways and figuring that that's a whole separate journey that I'm now going to go on. But it feels good to know that I've at least got 50 people who want me to write this every week, you know?
0: Right. That is um, so encouraging to hear. Sorry, I didn't know if I cut you off.
1: No, no, I am babbling. So please stop me. Yes.
0: No, I was, I was saying that's so encouraging. And I love, I think it's so genius how you positioned it, where you said this is not, Two emails a week on a Friday at 7 p.m., you're gonna get them. And if you don't get them, you're gonna be upset and asking for refunds. Like that's not the community you're creating. It's like I am spending a lot of time, energy, resources, mental capacity on this. And I need to be resourced myself in order to do that. And I think any content creator knows that. And I think we that's something I'm trying to remember too is like as a content creator, I know how much other content creators put into their content. So yeah. I'm not paying you for like the deliverables, I'm paying you for like the energy expended on what you're creating. I love how exactly. you
1: exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So I encourage you. I mean, are you how close are you to thinking about doing something like that?
0: I have like three or four episodes lined up. I want to make it like a travel subscription mm. channel. And so I have already interviews. I already have ideas. I have so many things like in the bank, so to speak. And then nice. I've really just been going back and forth on a name. And then I think it's just pulling the trigger, to be honest. It's like getting over this hump that n- no one wants to support me or no one wants to subscribe or who's going to. And going back to, you know, all the way to the beginning of this conversation, doing it just for the sake of doing it, not for the sake of becoming a millionaire, or becoming the number one podcast on Substack. You know what I mean? There's
1: right. Like, right. not
0: going into it with that intention.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's what's so thrilling is to when you do something like this, like I can say right now, like, it's not like I'm not making like even a livable wage at all with those 50, right? But it just is motivating to feel like, okay, like I'm on a path here and I'm providing something that people care about. And like, I know that today, like I I have, I have have a lot of, I have a big story I'm working on this week. And I know that I'm just going to feel even more motivated and excited to produce it, you know, because I've gotten this feedback, you know, I've heard from people, right? It's just a great thing to do. And as long as you're not like, yeah, overnight, this has to like support my, you know, support my life. You know, it is a long game, like newsletters are a long game, podcasts, newsletters and podcasts are way more are similar to each other, much more similar than like this model of like social media. We're more like the slow media, you know, and so it is this longer game for both of us. But I think in the end, to get an email from someone like I've been getting over the weekend that just says, of course, I'm supporting this. We, you know, I believe in you it's that's an incredible boost and you get that from your paid you know your free subscribers too but when they actually take that step it's almost just like a extra boost to your own confidence in what you're doing yeah
0: okay so anyone listening if you've been thinking of launching a subscription channel a paywall anything i think sky is our motivational speaker on that for today <laughs> because i think i think it's just very encouraging to hear so thank you yeah I'm You probably listened to a thousand plus podcasts, even in the last like six months alone, just because I can tell you're a podcast junkie like me. Like you said, that's how you got into it. What do you think makes a compelling podcast?
1: So, I think what makes a compelling podcast is having a. It's really important that the person who is talking to me through my ears cares so deeply about. Whatever it is, right? Whatever story they're telling or whatever news they're analyzing, whatever show they're dissecting, you know, I mean, depending on the type of podcast that you're listening to, why is that person in my ears? They're in my ears because they are the only person that, in my opinion, can talk about this in the most compelling way. And that's why it sort of, is full circle goes back to what I was saying before. If you are going to produce this content then you need to have a reason why you are bringing that to a podcast, right? Like, there is a reason why you're doing this. And again, it may just be for fun, and that is totally fine. If you are, you know, a business owner and you want to talk to people who are potential customers, you're doing that because you know your business inside out and you have compelling things to say about it if you are someone who is doing more of like a, say a recap podcast on a show, you have some reason to be doing that. Like you don't necessarily need to be the producer of that television show, but maybe you grew up playing Dungeons and Dragons and now you're gonna talk about it because you are such an expert in the, I guess that's actually a movie that's coming out. And you're so passionate about Dungeons and Dragons and people are gonna feel that from you, right? But the other part of it is that you need to do prep work b- before your podcast. Like, please do prep work. Before it's so clear to me, Chelsea, that you knew what you wanted to ask me. You had questions ready. You know, you know a fair bit about my background. You know, clearly, you have created a process for yourself where you know how to make sure that this podcast, this interview goes well. Like, even if you're not doing an interview, But definitely if you are, but whatever type of podcast you're producing, like you, even if it's just your voice, you need to know what you're there to talk about. And so prep work is important. If you're doing a storytelling podcast, knowing story structure and all of that's a whole other sort of like genre, um, you know, narrative podcast. You need to know how to produce that well. You need to know how to draw the listener along. You know, you need to be thinking about what's going to keep them there basically every 25 seconds. I mean, there's a lot of things that go into producing a great podcast. But first and foremost, know why you're producing it. Know why you're hosting it. Know why you're there. A story mm. or something. Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny. Just the other day, <clears throat> this person had produced a trailer. So I'm part of a bunch of um, like radio like listservs, like group email things. And this woman who was new had produced a trailer and it reminded me of the work I used to do consulting with people because I decided to, she was like, I've just produced this trailer and I'm so excited about it. And I, I didn't want it. She was not asking for feedback. If she had said, I want your feedback, maybe I would have thought of a way to give her feedback, but it, I did not feel that it was appropriate, but I will share it with you now. So I listened to her trailer, and she had 30 seconds of music at the very beginning of her trailer. And this is a woman who has never produced a podcast. She doesn't have a built-in audience anywhere. She is not a celebrity. 30 seconds of music. I was like, you are losing. You know, the few people that are going to pick this up right away and listen to it, you've already lost them with that. Like, you cannot start a trailer. You cannot start your very first podcast with 30 seconds of music. You've got to right away, this is the problem I see over and over again, people don't understand how little time they have. They want to make this beautiful thing. And it is beautiful. And the music was great. But with so much other stuff out there, unless I have a compelling reason to listen to you, and I already know that compelling reason, 30 seconds is too long. Now, You know, if she is the the real estate agent and she's got this offline business and you just know that anyone who's coming to your podcast is already your customer, maybe that buys you some more time because they already know you, right? But aside from that, I would be very careful with wasting any time at all before you tell people why why they're there. So that would be the first thing. I would also say people probably do what I'm doing on this, but they ramble a little too much. You know, in the beginning, they have too much small talk, you know, talking about like with their co-host or whatever. Until you have earned that right from your audience because they've been, you already have an audience, I would really caution you against, again, it's all about wasting time. Like get to the content. Like I love it when I turn on a podcast and very quickly I am hearing I'm your host, this is my show, this is what it's about, this is what you're going to hear, and then we're going to wrap things up. Like, tell them what you're go- what they're going to hear right away so that they're in. They're like, okay, we're on the train, I'm in good hands, here we go. I highly recommend that. Th- those are basically my biggest pet peeves. Yeah.
0: Oh, I totally agree. And you know what's interesting is I was talking to all these guys that listen to podcasts And they're, you know, sending me podcasts like, oh, check this out. And I'm like, this is four hours. Like, I'm not listening to this. Uh. And then I asked women, I was like, would you listen to this? And they're like, no, I don't think so. So I started doing this like kind of fake research experiment of like, why do guys listen to four hour podcasts and women listen to 45, 60 minutes? And we, I think women just like to hear things like to completion and like be done and move on. And guys are just like, oh, I need more time. And then what's funny is I started reading this book called The Female Brain, and it just mm. talks about how like, how our brains operate. And I don't know if you've had any insight on this or just seen this trend, too, of like why – I think this is something women, especially because I serve a lot of women in my business, we get caught up in, like, I don't want this to be boring. I don't want this to be rambling. I don't want it to be long. But then you do see people that have three-and-a-half-hour, four-hour podcasts. So, yeah. yeah, this is just kind of an opinion question.
1: I mean, yeah, it's obviously, you know, I don't have a scientific answer, but, you know, I would say at the risk of sounding, of being mean to men, I I, I do think that there is a little bit of, like, this sense of, like, male privilege, like, I can talk for four hours and someone will listen to me, <laughs> and I think that women are raised differently, you know, we're raised, to not necessarily think, but like, you know, so there's that. I also think like, and I don't know, I have not seen the statistics on it, but that's very interesting that you did a study on it. I know that a lot of women, friends of mine, so that's just my own little focus group, you know, we're listening to podcasts to get something done. Or, you know, to be entertained. But like, we're multitaskers. Like, we're doing a million things during the day. So yes, we have our time that we're blocking out for listening to podcasts. But like, I'm really curious how these men are finding for hours in their day to listen. Because for me, even to, you know, I write about podcasting, but that doesn't... I used to listen to podcasts for my job. Did some podcast criticism in my previous work blah, blah, blah. So I would need to listen. I would, you know, that was like part of my workday. But, you know, now it's much harder, you know, for me to find time because I'm writing about the industry rather than just like listening and giving feedback or listening and writing about a particular show. But, you know, four hours is a long ass time. So like, I don't know, are they, what do they do for a living? Like, I, I don't know. I heard they
0: do- I, I ask them, I'm like, where do you find the time? And they just stop and start like throughout the week or a few weeks. And then they'll like... Right. The episode.
1: Well, and there are those podcasters who have earned the right to have a four-hour podcast. They, you know, Joe Rogan, I am not a fan of his personally, but he has earned that right. Like he has listeners who clearly will listen that long or Tim Ferriss or, you know, whatever. Even my boss at Inside, so when I wrote for Inside, Inside is actually owned by Jason Calacanis. And he's got a long, unedited podcast called This Week in Startups, and now he's doing some other stuff. And he used to say to me, because I ran my podcast out of his studio, and, and I hired a producer out of my own money. This is why I spent money on my own podcast, because Jason was like, you don't need to edit it. Just interview them and put it up there like I do. And I was like, Jason, you're like, you know, you're internet famous. Like, I'm not. And, you know, and so I haven't earned that right. Like I need to have, people aren't going to just listen to me, like talk about the weather. Maybe they'll listen to you do it, but they're not going to listen to me. And so, you know, that's the thing is like, you have to figure out when your listeners are ready for that, to indulge you, for, to, to give you that kind of privilege.
0: Yeah. So true. And I think asking your listeners, right. I think a lot of people just Start guessing, "Oh, I hope they like this, I hope they like that," and, and this is where I think it goes back to community and having a way to speak to them. Like, yes. How do you know what people want to hear, and how do you get that feedback? And I think you can only do that by talking to your listeners.
1: Absolutely. yes. 100 percent.:
0: I'm curious. what niche podcasts do you listen to that maybe aren't like so mainstream, but that you think everyone should listen to?
1: Hm, <sighs> mm, That's a good question. It's hard to say what I think everyone should listen to. Oh, my gosh. I feel like I need my phone. Yeah, it broke out your phone. Do you mind if I Do really Yeah, if I look we real broke the, the seed. Because I thought of one right away, but then I'm like, I don't know that everyone needs to listen to that. Hold on. Let me look at my listening history. I love, by the way, I have to say, I love that um, my podcast app allows me to look at my listening history. Right. Oh, my gosh. Well, these are so so niche um that I don't know that any that other people would want to. Um hold on, let me try to find. Oh well this gosh. This isn't so niche though.
0: Let's that's actually maybe let's do that. What are your what is in your feed right now? Like your top <laughs> five podcasts. Well
1: you know I've okay well this one is kind of neat this is kind of niche but People would have to decide on their own whether they wanted to listen to it. But I really love this podcast called The Bulwark. I actually wrote about it in my newsletter. So the first one I would say is The Bulwark. Um, And I will just say no judgment at all on where people's politics lie. I happen to be a Democrat. But this, I got sick of listening to political podcasts where all I was hearing were other Democrats sort of yelling the same stuff at each other all the time, (laughs) sort of being in our own little bubble. And so I found this podcast called The Bulwark, where it's former Republicans. They are anti-Trump Republicans. So they're talking about politics, but they're talking about it from the perspective of former Republicans who actually have d- beliefs that have been very different than mine. And I really enjoy that friction and that contrast and sort of hearing them critique the current political landscape as people who, uh, five years ago, I would have said, oh my gosh, I can't stand that political pundit or you know whoever it is. They the host of this podcast interviews all these, you know, both Republican and Democrat thinkers. And it's just been really fascinating for me to, like, hear people who I used to feel so unaligned with talking and, and finding some common ground with them. And I think, you know, in this day and age, that's really important. So I really, really love that podcast um, and i listen to that regularly this is not so much i mean it is niche but it's, it's it actually is hosted by someone famous i really have loved this podcast called all there is with anderson cooper so anderson that's a, just a recent podcast of mine that i just inhaled and it's all about he has you know experienced loss in his life. Anderson Cooper from CNN, you know, he's the son of Gloria Vanderbilt. She just passed away, but he also experienced a lot of grief in his youth. He has a brother who committed suicide and a father who died when he was young, and he made this podcast about dealing with grief. And to be honest, I have not yet dealt with a lot of grief in my life, but I know that I will you know, my parents are getting up there in age and, you know, I know that I will. And it just felt incredible to listen to all these people who I really feel like it is helping me prepare for what I know is ahead. But if you've also dealt with grief, I know that it would be a really incredible show to listen to because there have been just the most, I am not a person who believes in a lot of like sort of cliched statements, things that people have on their wall about like, life is beautiful or everything happens for a reason, like, I'm the kind of person who's a little bit more of like a cynic in my mm-hmm. core. And so, but to hear, like, I actually, there were so many profound things that really spoke to me that you could maybe say are like a cliche or whatever, but like hearing these, the the lived experiences of these people really, br- like it breathed life into what could be seen as a cliche, but like really felt true to me as I listened to this podcast. So that one is great. Let's see. I listened to um, the film cast. It's hosted by a guy named David Chen. And he talks about films. And he does sort of like a breakdown of stuff. And he's an independent creator. And I just love his work. He's got a bunch of different podcasts. One's called, um, I think it's called The Cast of Kings about the Game of Thrones. And like, he's got a whole world of like, popular culture podcasts that he runs. He also does a newsletter. And he's just like an independent creator that like, I would love for your listeners to know about because he's Working it, right? And he's doing what yeah. so many of us are doing. So yeah, those are some of my faves. I mean, I could keep going if you want, but is that
0: I is that love that. Yeah, because I feel like the, there's so many just, you know, podcasts like everyone knows, like you said, the Joe Rogans and the Call Her Daddies and all these things. Right. Like, I want to hear more the micro creators or, or just things that are challenging you or thought-provoking, which it sounds like you have a lot of those in your feed. So I love hearing those.
1: Yeah. Cool.
0: I have two final questions. And okay. the first one is... What advice would you give to any content creators, especially podcasters, that are on the fence about starting a podcast?
1: I would say my number one piece of advice is stop coming up with excuses not to do it and just do it. Oof because that is the hardest moment of your journey, right? Like, not like it's going to be easy to be on a podcast journey in particular. It it takes a lot of work, but diving in. And by doing it, what I also mean is like, doing it is not just making your show or writing your newsletter. Doing it is literally doing the work to get you to that point. So writing down what is the show going to be? What is the name? Running it past your... You know, the people who you know in your life are going to be the hardest critics. You know, figuring out, is this actually something that you want to do? Like, that is, in when I say do it, that's the work that I mean. Like, figuring out if this is, or if it's not, and then take it off the table and never worry about it again. There is a great book by Eric Nuzum, and it's called Make Noise. And it is a really, I think it is, I always recommend it to new podcasters because I think it helps people get to their why. Like, why are they creating this? It it helps people really map out in very specific steps how to figure out if they should make a show. And so I highly recommend that book. It's called Make Noise. I forget the rest, but it's by Eric Nizum. Last name is spelled N-U-Z-U-M. There's another one by Kristen Meinzer called, I think it's called So You Want to Make a Podcast. That's a good book to read. I recommend both of those. And then just like make a decision man, like do it or don't do it. Right. And try not to procrastinate because we all do it. You're not alone. But at a certain point, you have to either like set yourself free in one direction or another.
0: Mm, I love that. Yeah. The pain of limbo is just like suffocating. And yes, I I learned actually through a podcast that the word decision is actually the Latin word for like to cut off. So when you're making Ah. a decision, you're cutting something off. So it's either you're cutting off like okay I'm I'm cutting off the excuses I'm going to do it or I'm cutting off the idea and I'm just not going to worry about it. But then there's that relief of like you're cutting something off to make something lighter and ever since I learned that I'm like making decisions is actually a power move. It shows like I am going to let something go to make space for something new or vice versa and um It's just reminding me to make a decision about this subscription channel. So thank you for that reminder.
1: Wow, I really love that. That I'm going to take that with me from here. That is like a great way to think about it. And it it really is true. It's not the way that we typically think about it, but it really, that's so true. And it's like, you know, there is that opportunity cost, right? If you decide to do one thing, what are you not doing? And yeah, you've got it. You do have to make a choice and you do have to cut something off. And yeah, Chelsea, I'm... I'm here for you, man. I I, I, <laughs> uh, I mean, and also think about what's the worst that could happen. Like right you I've
0: started so many things that I've stopped and I'm like, it's right. okay. So this one's paralyzing that I'm like, it's okay if I do it and like do three episodes. I'm like, never mind. Yeah. It's, okay, well, it's Hard it. to
1: ask for money. Again, it's not another sort of typically female thing. It's really hard to say, This is what I'm worth and you should pay me. Yeah.
0: A hundred percent. Well, I have loved this conversation and I have one final question. This podcast is called In My Non-Expert Opinion. So I always ask (laughs) guests, what is something that you're not an expert in that you wish that you were?
1: That's such a good question. Hmm. I will tell you, I know pretty much off the bat, I wish I was more, this is so ridiculous, but like, I wish I was more of an expert in, does this have to, can it be anything Anything. anything okay so you
0: does not have to be like in your line of work
1: okay so i am obsessed as i already said with popular culture and like i a Substack that i pay for is called the ankler and it's all about it's kind of like what i'm doing but for hollywood but it's a much bigger operation like they've got a bunch of writers and they it's like an insider hollywood newsletter and they also have podcasts and stuff and i want to be an expert in like how you actually produce a television show because I am just anything that's behind the scenes I'm like just sucking down so like my as I already said David Chen's podcast and the Inkler and like well that's what's so incredible about podcasts right is like I want to be an expert in how Hollywood works behind the scenes so I'm doing it like I'm like listening to podcasts and reading newsletters that have nothing to do with my line of work. Like, I'm never going to go to Hollywood and try to produce a show. And I'm never, I'm never going to try to be behind the scenes there. But I am obsessed with understanding how it all works. And so I'm using podcasts to figure that out. The Ankler is another great niche. If you're interested in what I'm interested in, the Ankler is amazing. It's so inside baseball. And I like, inhale every bit of content from them.
0: Oh, I love that. I love, love, love it. the insider baseball type of stuff. So, thank yeah. you so much for sharing. That sounds incredible.
1: Yeah. Well, thank you
0: so much, Sky. I've had so much fun talking to you. I think we've talked about where to find your newsletter, but just one final shout out like, where can we find you, your newsletter, and support all your work?
1: Yes. So, you can find my newsletter at This Is The Squeeze dot com, And at some point, I will have like, that will be just a regular domain, but I haven't made it happen yet. So you still have to find me on Substack. And you can find me um, on Twitter, just search Sky Pillsbury. And there's actually a link to my newsletter there as well. And that's where I spend most of my online time. I don't spend time really on many of the other platforms, although I am there. But most of my people, the people who make podcasts and are interested in sort of the, the business of podcasts are there. So that's why that's where my, where my presence is. This has been such a joy for me. I have to say, like, it's been so fun to have this conversation. Um, I mean, it's always fun to talk about yourself, right? <laughs> but you are a great interviewer. And you're obviously super passionate about what you're doing in your world. And I'm... Really going to be cheering you on. Like it, this is exciting to see you at the beginning of one of your new journeys, and I'm I'm really excited to have been at this. You know, to have spent a little time with you at this juncture.
0: Oh, thank you. I know. I'm like, let's regroup in a year, and you're going to be like, hold on, I have eight hundred thousand subscribers. I can't, I can't read the email. <laughs> yes, I'll have my we should. We should <laughs> a year in review. I love it. Well, thank yeah. you so much for coming on.
1: Of course, my pleasure. Thank you for having me.
0: Well, there you have it. You heard my full creative process about launching whatever I'm going to launch, whether that's a Substack, a new podcast, a subscription channel. We don't know. We will figure it out. And that's why I like taking you behind the scenes. And I definitely took you behind the scenes today with the world of podcasting, especially with Sky Pillsbury, who runs The Squeeze, which is a podcast industry focused newsletter. So be sure to check out the show notes to subscribe to that. I love reading about it. It makes me feel very intelligent with the world of podcasting and audio. And I just love when people pour their hearts and souls into something that really matters to them, which in this case for Sky is media and podcasting. And as someone who's been in the media world for 10 plus years, it's so refreshing to have someone again that puts on this hat and does this work for us which is why you should definitely consider paying for her subscription channel and supporting her work because she really does so much for us. If this episode excited you all about starting a podcast, then I would definitely check out Mike Drop. That's in the link in my show notes, and it's the ultimate podcast launch course. It takes you through everything you need to launch a podcast, from coming up with the name, designing the cover art, planning out your episodes, recording, editing, everything is in there, including resources, checklists, and of course, Notion templates and documents. You know I wouldn't miss that. I love organization, So you have a million resources in there and you can pick and choose what works for you. If you ever have any questions about podcasting or just want to chat in general, you can email me info at chelsearaife.com. You can DM me at chelsearaife on Instagram or go to the contact page on my website, chelsearaife.com, and let's chat. If you found value out of this episode, please consider leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And if you leave a written review, I will personally send you a copy of one of my favorite masterclasses, How to Monetize Your Creations and Podcast. So if you're a content creator that's getting really stuck on what to do with your content and you're like, it feels like I'm throwing spaghetti at the wall with my content. I don't even know what to do with this. I don't know its purpose. I don't know how to monetize it. And especially with podcasting, I just don't see how I'm going to ever get a sponsor when I don't have the numbers there. Trust me, there are ways to monetize that have nothing to do with your download numbers. So if you're like, yes, I need to learn about all the ways to do this, then again, all you have to do is go to Apple Podcasts, scroll down to the part where it says write a review, leave a review, and then screenshot that before you submit, because Apple's a little weird, and then send it to info at or at chelsearike on Instagram. I will personally send you a copy of that masterclass. As always, thank you so much for tuning in, and I'll see you next time.